Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, welcome to Wood Talk number 314 for June 20th, 2016. On today's show, we're talking about finish on a shower stool, hand cut miters, and building a shop on a budget. But before we get to that, uh, let's take a moment to talk about our sponsor, Kalo. Kalo is the functional wedding ring for your hardworking hands. Kalo silicone wedding rings are safe for your finger. And now, the new quality collection rings made with Q2X material are 10 times more resistant to gas, oil, and solvents, and less rigid than traditional silicone. Kalo rings are incredibly comfortable and start at just $15.99. So head to Kalo.com, that's Q-A-L-O.com, and use the code WOODTALK for 15% off your order. That's a screaming deal. I want to see everybody in the audience wearing these beautiful rubber rings. That's my dream. Look out there and see all the rings. Just a sea of, of silicone would be fantastic. Um, <laughs> and we'd also mm. like to thank a few individuals who helped us out. Uh, Daryl Mungi? Mung, uh, Nathan Sweet and David Brown. Thank you so much, guys, for helping us out. And if you want to support the show directly, you can too. Uh, go to woodtalkshow.com. Look over in that side column and you'll see the donation links. Uh, you know, just a one-time donation or a recurring donation, whatever is the most comfortable for you. We'll take it. And we appreciate the support. We'll mention your name at the top of the show, just like we did for Nathan, Daryl, and David. And uh, just a quick note, programming note here. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, next week's show will be late. So uh, I'll be out of town, but we're going to try, rather than do a two-person recording, we're just going to try to push it back a couple days. So we're going to do our best to record on Wednesday. So if you don't see the show on your feet on Monday, this is why. Because we're not actually going to do one on Monday. All right, so it'll be a couple days late. Uh, we apologize in advance for that, but at least, you know, we'll get a normal show out. So something's better I'm than not, nothing. I'm not sorry at all. Yeah, well, you're just one of those people. That's you guys know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> He's going to be two days late, and you know why. Shannon's angry with you. Yes. Okay. So let's move on to what's on the bench. Hey, I'm still. I mentioned to the guys earlier. I'm using the new GarageBand to do the recording here, and things are a little bit different. So it's really throwing me off. Like it's not moving with the playhead. 
which is how I usually monitor that, that everything's working the way it's supposed to work. And I don't, all I see is like the first 10 seconds of the recording. Wonderful. I guess I'll have to fix that later. 10 second show today. It's got, it's it, uh, let's just hope it is recording. That's, that's what this comes down to. Uh, so yeah, good stuff. What's on the bench. Now I mentioned last week, my whole experience with, with the Honda project and that has come to a close and four projects were successfully completed. And it really came down to the wire, not the building of the projects, but getting all the shots that we needed. So after the projects were built, I had to do an introduction, uh, closing remarks and things like that. And what, what was that? I dropped a battery. Nicely done. Yeah, no problem. You're making Legos while you're doing the show. Making sure they still roll, you know. Keeping himself occupied. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I had the film introductions and just kind of talking points here and there. But to do that, we had to get the truck into the backyard. (laughs) So this was, I actually have video and I'm probably never going to be able to do anything with it, but it was just for my own entertainment trying to get this truck maneuvered around the shop, which is not intended to have a vehicle go around there. There's just not much space between the the fence and the the wall of the shop. So they're trying to negotiate that, get it around. And we finally did. They got it around and and got this truck into my backyard, which actually is really, it's nicely landscaped and it's a lot nicer than the front. So it was a perfect backdrop for this. And we set the projects up in front of the truck and took the shots and everything was good. The problem is you can really only do that if you aren't restricting sort of the, the sun exposure with uh, large overhead filters, which we aren't. You're really limited to a short window in the, the morning at like 530 in the morning and another short window at like 730 at night. And I knew the window was going to be short. I didn't think it was going to be like 30 minutes short. Uh, oh, wow. In, yeah, in both cases. So it took us, like, the truck's just sitting back there, and it took us multiple nights and mornings to get everything we needed to get to to feel confident that we had all the shots we needed to have. I'd say if it was, like, 5 in the morning, it would take me half an hour to warm up. Right? I mean, by the like time you get... camera presence. Yeah, by the time you get the coffee down, and, and thankfully, most of the, like, introductions were actually filmed that night. Um, so I was a little bit more, you know, there and ready to to go into, like, camera mode as opposed to first thing in the morning. So yeah, that was an interesting experience. Um, very, very tricky to pull that off, but we did uh, down to the wire. The very last day they were about to leave as they're pulling the truck away. We were getting the shots of like the rear of the truck, putting tools in the little storage <laughs> compartment and all that stuff. So literally like as it's going out the driveway, we did the rear shots and then it went away. So very interesting experience doing this whole thing. Um, I, again, whirlwind 12 days of work. Uh, getting up super early, staying up late. It was it was kind of crazy. So hopefully wow. those uh, those videos will be out soon. I think they want to just release them over the course of the summer. So basically, probably starting in July, and uh, maybe with uh, uh, you know two weeks between the videos, we'll have a total of four. And uh, you know, good stuff. It'll be uh, new new content coming to the Wood Whisperer. So can't beat that. I guess the question is: Is like Nicole even speaking to you right now? Is she just like <laughs> permanently ticked that you ditched her and left her with the kids for? Yeah. You know, the cool thing is my family's really, really good with this stuff. Uh, you know, my mom lives uh, locally as well. So the family just pitches in, you know, when, and this is not the first time this happens. This happens like on every guild build when I have to work, <laughs> I have to work nights, you know, so I'll eat dinner and then go right yeah, back out Nicole, to the shop. Nicole didn't go on the record and say, I don't want you to do this. You shouldn't do this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. So she's got yeah. that. I told you so look on her face the whole time. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, that we shouldn't, we shouldn't say that, but, uh, 
but yeah, she, she was like, I'm not sure that this is the right thing for you to do. And I'm like, ah, let's do it. It sounds fun. Um, but no, honestly, the, my family is just, it's super, super, they're supportive of everything that I do. So I, I'm very lucky in that regard. Um, you know, and the kids are cool with it too. The, the little girl doesn't complain much, which is nice yet. So, yeah. Yet. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's how things went. Uh, Matt, what do you got going on? So the biggest thing this week is I got those uh, long pieces of trim made and installed, which was really interesting because I have a 20 by 21 foot shop and the trim boards were 12 feet long. So there is no physical way to have both in feed and out feed space for any machine with those boards. Hmm. So it was very interesting moving things around. Like I moved my bandsaw to the other side of my shop so I could like feed it through the shop and out the garage door. I had the router table, so I was like feeding in the the um, the access door, the, the person door, and then through the shop just enough before it hit the plywood cart. It was very interesting. Wow! And I have I have to say though, I haven't um, those boards had a lot of stress and tension in them. I've never I haven't experienced that for a long time. So, so was, what you're planing them down and they just go whoop? I was uh, ripping them to uh, to width. Okay, and they were like like immediately you see like the it was like I was ripping into like four, I think four, four inches. And then the, the initial boards were like around six or something. So I had like a four inch piece and a two inch piece. That two inch piece like hockey sticked out away from the the thing. And then like three quarters that. of the way through went schmark right back and closed the curve right back up again. And then wow. it was fine the rest of the way. I'm like, hmm, interesting. I hate when that happens. That makes me oh. so nervous. Like I haven't yeah, had aggressive with their kiln at that. That's, that was These are the ones you had to buy from the yard, right? <laughs> yeah, that's Your right. Only I'm like, hey, kiln dried stock. Interesting. Haven't had this problem like ever since working with air dried stock. Jeez. <laughs> For the record, not all kiln dried stock does that. <laughs> no, but you know I what? How, how long are these pieces, Matt? Uh, 12 feet. If I were to cut a 12 feet piece of that sort of narrow variety, I would guarantee that it's going to move. Like to oh, an yeah. to an extent that it's going to be problematic, you know, it would make me nervous. I would have to buy the the board would have to be like three times as wide as I really need it, <laughs> just to yield that one piece and and be confident that I'm going to be able to get it out of that board. Uh, yeah. that's crazy, <laughs> man. But I've I mean, done I think I've it, done ten foot trim. without any problem. The trim, like Shane, you're saying, it's trim's not a problem with, with that. Yeah, you're going to you nail that into submission. Yeah, you could. I didn't bother it. jointing or well, face jointing any of the trim boards anyway. And with these ones, I didn't even bother playing them because they already, it was uh, S2S when I bought it. Mm. It wasn't perfect, but I was going to be running a profile in it anyway, so I used full thickness. So that casing is like 11, no, sorry, 15, 16 inch thick, and I just profiled it. Gotcha. So, I don't know. It was all right. Just uh, kind of weird. You know, I'm not used to that stress stuff. So you, when you see that happen, and I think this is like a critical point that, the more experience you have under your belt, the, the better you are at dealing with these situations, but you're, you're in there, you start to see it close up. And is there, is there a point and what are you looking for when you realize you need to stop? Well, I'm on the bandsaw. So, I'm okay, like, well, there's a difference. Like, that's why I use the bandsaw. Yeah. That, that's part. a much better scenario to be in. <laughs> Cause I mean, I've Plus, had that happen at the table saw too. And you get to that oh, point yeah. where sometimes you're like, all right, should I push through? Should I push through or do it? You know, should I be stopping, holding it and then turning the machine off? That's totally if like a feeling thing. Like yeah. once uh, I do uh, stickers on the table saw, so I said they're ripping strips out of boards that were I've done out of boards that were dried too quickly, and they're mm-hmm. basically garbage. And that is very interesting to be ripping stuff like that. Rough sawn lumber, you know, cup warped, twisted, whatever, um, yeah. with stress in it because it's been dried too quickly. Which is why like 
a whole bunch of our stickers are just cherry because that happened once. They got dried too quickly and they all turned to potato chips. So they weren't mm. sellable or usable for anything. So cherry I got pretty potato chips. Mm, I got pretty good at at ripping stuff that I knew had was going to bind. So it was a learning experience in that. And you just kind of get a feeling for it. Like when you, you know your saw and the sound of the saw is making when it's really bogging down or you can watch that kerf close and you can see it close really tightly. Yeah. And especially on, on my saw, I don't have a riving knife or a splitter in mine because it's terrible design. It's annoying. Um, so it's even more like you got to pay attention. Yeah. No kidding. Jeez. Scary stuff. Yeah. <laughs> what kind of saw do you have? Uh, I have a rigid from like uh, 2008, the R4511. You can't put like one of those little, what are those things called? The little plastic oh. inserts that you like, oh, drill the holes can. in? Oh, I can. Oh, okay. Can. You can right. do the right. mic- so, microjig split. In other words. <laughs> yeah, microjig's got one. I can. The problem I have with those is I use my table saw to like throw crap on. I know as soon as I put those things in, I'm going to be slotting a board across the table like perpendicular to where it normally go and it'll just break those things right off. Yes, I've done that. <laughs> it doesn't take a lot of effort to break those things right off. So now it is microjig, right? The, the yes, yeah, yes, little yeah. plastic and MJ, MJ splitter. splitters. Yep, that's what it is. Yeah. So what, what would you do if you had a riving knife there or a splitter? Would you remember to put it down before, like throwing something on your table saw? I don't know. I feel like a steel splitter or riving knife would be able to take a little more than little plastic tab things. Maybe, but then but your riving knife drops with the blade, right? So I mean. That's true. Yeah. I mean, if the blade is up, hopefully you're not thinking, well, I'll just slide this across the table. <laughs> yeah. But if you, if you're, if he's going to remember to uh, put his blade down, he could remember to pull the insert out before he slides that piece of wood across. Come on. That's true. This is, really this, have is a, no excuse, this is a bad safety excuse. <laughs> we should take him to task. Yeah. Let's. You're bad, Matt. I know. Log in with <laughs> hockey, with the hockey stick off cuts. Yeah. <laughs> setting, setting a terrible example here. Well, anyway, disclaimer, don't listen to the Wood Talk guys about safety. Uh, <laughs> well, at least one, one of the three. Don't, don't do as I do. Yeah, do as I, I say. say. I just shove wood shavings in the kerf to keep it open. When I'm sawing. <laughs> I have. Nothing uh, wrong I with can, that. This is a terrible safety discussion, but I do, I keep, in my rail, I keep a shim for that exact reason. Hmm. So if the saw, if the kerf closes, I grab the shim out of the, the thing and I jam it in the kerf. Oh. Okay. Well, when you're like, a, you have a shim on your fence. Wait a minute. What? I mean, when, when it's starting to bind, you know, and you're in one of those situations that could, if you can keep everything balanced properly, that could actually mean the difference between a kickback and not having a kickback. Yeah. It's a lot Especially of because keep when it does happen, you go into slow motion. Yeah. Yeah. You see it start to close. And oh, no doubt about slows it. down. Yep. That's no. also like part of my workflow is that I don't do ripping cuts on the table saw. Right. Like ever. And when I do when I do my ripping cuts on a table saw, it's to trim things to final width. So I'm removing maybe an eighth of an inch of material mm-hmm. or a quarter. So it's this little tiny thin thing anyways, which isn't going to be much of a problem. Yeah. All my rough ripping is always on the bandsaw. I'm doing that more and more. Like there's just nothing appealing about a long rip at the table saw. I just find it so much easier because you can walk around the bandsaw. You can you know you can feed from the side of the saw, the front of the saw. You can pull from the back. It's really freeing to be able to maneuver the boards however is easiest for you. Yeah. Way more forgiving, for sure. Well, cool. I agree. I prefer to cross-cut it as short as possible first. <laughs> yeah, that's like oh, yes, rips in that. general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, cutting boards. How's the cutting board situation? Good. You know, it's uh, just 
time consuming. I haven't had that much time to go out there and start uh, getting them sanded up and flattened and all that stuff. Like this time, they're you know they're they're pretty flat and like true, where like the pieces aren't like sticking out past one another. So mm-hmm. I'm skipping the router sled thing just because it makes it just a giant mess. And, <laughs> yeah, and it does. I don't think it's I didn't think it's going to save me that much time, but the drum sander is just so slow and underpowered. Yeah. Like I need like a five horse something. If that drum had a five horse motor on it, it would be so much faster. But I'm just like limited to that little tiny was like one and a half, one three quarter drum. As soon as you start feeding it in, the auto feed thing slows the thing down right away. So I always have it turn up to like a hundred. So it like feeds a little bit faster, but it's just so slow. It's just, I think it, it's trying to tell you something. And that, that is, you shouldn't be doing that. Right. Just send me a drum sander, a wide belt or something. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. I was always surprised when I um, was looking into them that very few are like 220 tools. Like they're all 110. And yes, the, re- the reason so why weird. is because there's not they don't give them much much power. And I guess because maybe it's to simply discourage people from doing a lot of like heavy-duty surfacing with that, that it's just a finishing tool. So if you need more power, you might be doing something wrong is kind yeah. of the logic. And I was looking into it recently because I'm like, oh, maybe I'll just kind of see what's out there. Because I haven't looked for like forever. And then back then I only had 110 anyway. Yeah. So I'm like, all once you get like above, um, what is it, like the 16 or the 22 inch wide drum sanders to get to like a three horse motor, even like a five horse motor. Then you get these like really, really big machines and they have these bigger motors because the drums are like four feet long. Right. right. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's what we've got at the yard. It's a <laughs> six uh, six foot capacity across the bed with two belts, oh, and it's, it, it actually can you can use it for dimensioning. Yeah. I don't know what the horsepower is in the motor, but it's bigger than like a Volkswagen Beetle. It's ridiculous, dude. That's a awesome. motor hanging off the back of that thing is just ridiculous. Wow. <laughs> I want that. Just for it's fun. pretty cool. It's pretty cool. We, we run um we reman like uh epay decking and stuff that maybe has started to turn a little gray just because where do you put it? You know, it's bright sun all summer long. It's got to sit there. So we'll, um, <clears throat> there are a lot of customers that actually want it gray, but those that don't, we'll just kind of give it that fresh, fresh look right off the, uh, the drum sander. And, mm-hmm. you know, epay is so ridiculously hard, but they're feeding it through like one, you know, uh, six by five quarter, one by six piece at a time, just kind of staggering them across there. And you're running, whatever that is, six into 72. What is that? A number. More than 12. It's more than 12. <laughs> so they're running, they're running a bunch of boards across and like, it doesn't even like slow down. That's crazy. Like, you hear the motor just chugging and it doesn't like, <laughs> the pitch doesn't change at all. And oh, it's all, it's such a cool machine. Well, like, the interesting thing about it is you're not dealing with a blade here. So when you're talking about aggressive feeding, it's sandpaper. You know, so no matter how strong the machine is, really one of the limiting factors is going to be the friction, the heat, and the sandpaper buildup, and how well that works for that application. Now, which is what I'm thinking in most cases. I mean, a double double drum is a different story because you kind of can sand, you know, more aggressively on the first drum and a little finer on the second drum. It's not taking as big of a bite on the second one. Um, but you know, in a single drum situation, there's only so much you can do before it burns, and that's kind of what the tool's trying to prevent you from doing. And end grain, end grain is an even, you know, bigger beast just because it's, it's, it tends to heat up so much. Um, man, good luck not burning your paper with end grain at all. Yeah. It take it pretty slowly. That's the problem. Yep. Yeah. Take it slowly. And I clean the belt every single pass. <laughs> and yeah. like after a while I have to like let it cool off because the drum itself is like hot to the touch. Yeah. Like just spray it with water. Right? <laughs> like when you're grinding, right? That would work. Wouldn't it? 
Someone needs now, to make like a baby wide belt sander, like like a sixteen or twenty inch wide baby belt sander wide belt. Like, I know Grizzly perfect. has one, but I think it's only thirteen inches. They like call it a belt? baby belt sander. Don't they have a baby drum? Wasn't there a little desktop or tabletop version that Performax made or um, Jet made at one point? The drum yeah. sander, though, it's still not like I oh, mean, you like, said belt sander. Duh. Or okay. wide or wide belt. Wide belt sander, the yeah. wide belt usually can dissipate the heat. I think a little better. Okay, gotcha. Or they can be more aggressive, whatever. But I need something that's not super big and has a big motor on it that can flatten cutting boards faster than what is it like a sixteenth of the turn of the crank and one yeah. crank is what like a thirty second of an inch or something or is it sixteenth? Right. It's a very know. small number. Yeah. So I'm taking like one two hundred fifty six inch passes and I got to go down a sixteenth of an inch. You know, that's a lot of passes. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like the only real solution here is just to stop making cutting boards. Yeah, it sounds like we talked that. about it last week. Yeah. It's like, or it's sell cutting board kits. <laughs> oh, there you go. It works. Just sell the blank. Cutting works for Bell blanks. Forest products. There you go. You're already Flat selling yourself. wood, right? <laughs> oh, that's actually a good idea. Here, here's it all glued up for you. All you got to do is sand the crap out of it. Yeah, Have you fun. know, <laughs> if you're just making one, it's not a big deal, right? So <laughs> that's you know, true. You, can, you could even like sell it with the paper. You know, here goes on your typical random orbit sander. Go to town. I wonder if I wonder how that would go if you sold those. I wonder how many people would buy them. I don't know. seriously think of like the people that like buy like wooden crafts at like Michaels and stuff. Yeah, that's your market right there, man. Jump all over that. <laughs> or like the the Windsor chair kit thing that I built years yeah. ago, right? That type of thing. Yeah, fantastic. There you go. You, New market. You know I wonder. We're, we're talking about this belt sander thing, and you know the burning is so common. What I wonder is, what kind of hazard does that provide on the dust collection? Like, are you sending cinders up the hose? Because that's terrifying. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> it's like grain silo terrifying. Yeah, doesn't it sound like be, a good idea. You know, because if the drum itself is hot to the touch, what is the dust like? Is it just? dissipating the heat because it's such a small surface area i wonder i don't know i would assume so plus there's so much airflow yeah i guess that's true too it's blowing out the well although too much airflow i suppose could be a very bad thing <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, nice cool well shannon what's going on with you i have been planning new lighting in my shop for a while um and the biggest issue was in order to do this, obviously, I've got to flip the breaker to all the lights in the shop in order to rewire things. So it's got to be like the weather's got to be nice enough that I can like open the garage door and and work by natural light. And certainly I can plug in a couple of, of um, lights and things to provide some light. But I don't want it to be so blooming hot outside that I'm dying and I don't want it to be so cold that I'm freezing to death. Well, needless to say, I completely missed that window. It's <laughs> hot that I'm dying now, but at least we're we're in this um kind of weird weather pattern where there's some wind and it's kind of pulling the humidity out of the air. So it's not you know Arizona dry, but it's a uh, you know 94 degrees and much much drier air. So I finally just I I have all the stuff. I'm doing full track lighting installation, getting rid of my uh, fluorescent. I've only got two fluorescent banks, and they just leave huge black spots around yeah, the shop. Right. I mean, the, the, the cone of light does not overlap in the slightest, but here's the thing. I actually prefer working in task lighting anyway. I really don't like the, the blanketed light everywhere in the shop. And, you know, it's, I know there's some of that as a handle thing. Uh, some of that may be, you know, people say, well, your eyes are going to go bad. Well, my eyes have been crappy since I was in ninth grade. <laughs> like, I take off my glasses and I run into walls. Yeah. So, you know, they're not going to get much worse. There you go. I know it's a different thing, people. Don't, See, that would you know, be impressive. 
Yeah. Um, so I decided I was going to go with the whole track lighting idea. I've got plenty of track that, you know, I can, you know, run Grand Central Station on the, on the roof of the, the shop here. And I've got, I think I found these really cool kind of low profile pendants that use regular, um, bulbs. So I don't have to have like the little, like low voltage bulbs, but I'm going all LED and I'm actually, I've spent a fair amount of money on some of these because I went all Philips smart bulb oh boy. bulbs. Nice. So just because my shop is wood shop, but also film studio. Um, so I'm going to like geek out on this, like in the, in the areas where like I do most of my like introductory shots and things like that, I'm going to make sure they're blanketed with the smart bulbs so that I can dial in, um, various scenes and things. So no more moving light boxes around the shop and getting the light just right. Oh, that'd be nice. Uh, the, well, the thing that bugs me with the fluorescence now is there are two banks and they're on one switch and there's no dimmer. I know I could probably install a dimmer, but like if I'm at the back of the shop, the bench is directly under the bank of fluorescence and the ceiling's only about seven and a half feet tall and I'm six, four. So, I mean, it's terrible, terrible lighting. Um, and even for working, I tend to cast a shadow on my own work because the way the light is situated. Um, so oftentimes I'm wishing that I could turn off one bank of fluorescence and leave the other on just to provide a little bit of ambient lightning for filming and, and whatever. And I just can't do that. So the cool thing with um, even the bulbs that aren't um, the really expensive Hue Phillips bulbs, there are other LEDs that are smart bulbs that will allow me to turn them on and off independently. Um, so like essentially every bulb in the shop will be able to be controlled independently. Mm -hmm. Now the Phillips ones, I can control the full range of colors, um, which I don't think I'll be needing to do too much of that. It's all daylight bulbs anyway. So there's no, there's no, uh, sexy time setting you're going to have. Well, you know, that, that'll be, that'll be later. I can program in the disco settings and stuff like (laughs) this. But it's just, uh, it, it's exciting just because of the way that, you know, I don't think I'll be repositioning the, the drops, the pendants all that much, but I can (laughs) if I want to. Um, so I, and I've got it all laid out with the, where the grid, where the actual track is going to go and everything. Um, but I must admit there is still a little bit of like an unknown, like, do I have enough lights? I think I do. You know, (laughs) you look at the lumen output of the bulbs and you look at what I've got now and all that, you know, you do the math and you figure I'm okay. Um, uh, but because the track lights are more focused in their, their cone of light, if you will, yeah. um, I, I wonder, you know, do I need to have it? But fortunately my workshop takes place around my bench. So as long as my bench is, you know, well, well lighted, I should be fine. It's so, very tricky when you've got that low ceiling. Cause it's like any, yes. you know, any shot you get that has the top of your head involved probably is going to get some of that haze from that yeah. light overhead. That's gotta be yeah. a little rough. Well, the thought is, is the tracks are going to flank the bench. They're not going to be directly over the bench. So I'm going to have slightly angled light coming in from all sides on the bench. Yeah. Um, and then around the, the back of the shop where the joinery bench is, and of course the front of the shop where the lathe sits, it's the same type of thing. I've got these loops of track where I can essentially move, position a, a drop light anywhere 360 degrees around whatever it is I'm trying to light. Mm-hmm. And then I also can rotate the pendants themselves and, you know, move them, just point them at the white ceiling if I need to. Or hmm. so I, I think I've got a lot of flexibility and I guess the fortunate thing of it being a low ceiling is it's easy to adjust. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah know? for sure. Being that I'm six, four, it's not a hard reach to get to that pendant. Um, <laughs> the hard part was finding the drop lights that like weren't super drop, like that, you know, had like this eight, eight inch, um, from track to, to bulb because then I'd be bumping my heads on, <laughs> which would just be bad. So yeah, I found some, uh, 
some cool lights. Unfortunately, as is typical, you I couldn't find any of them at any of like the local Lowe's or Home Depot. So everything had to be special ordered over the internet. So um, yeah, I mean they're not super expensive, but it's just one of those frustrating things where I can't run over to the depot and get another yeah. one if I need to. Right. Dude, I think we this is one of those times where we have to have these side shows, like a weekend show that has nothing to do with woodworking. Now I want to talk smart home stuff. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. I've like, been getting I've into got, that myself I've got a few too. Bulbs and, and several, like the room I'm in right now, the the light fixture has got Phillips hue bulbs in them, mm-hmm. and they're just awesome. Like we've got several. They call them scenes. It's yeah, color which lights and colors. I've got hue bulbs in my shop now against the back wall on the the gooseneck lamps over my joinery bench. And it's just awesome. Yeah. You know, I mean, I just pull out my phone and I tap a scene and it changes everything around. It's, it's way cool. Um, uh, I mean, it's super handy, this stuff. Even in a shop, the smart home stuff is cool. But I'll tell you, if you have a situation like me where you've got a wife who likes to leave closet lights on, uh, so things like the pantry light is always left on, I've got a motion sensor and a controlled light. And basically it's set that five minutes after it detects no motion, the light goes off no matter what. That's pretty cool. Which is just awesome. Very good solution. So what I love about Hue is it runs off a base station and I think it's something like 50 bulbs per base station. Right. Yeah. More than, more than I need. Sure. Um, but there is a, on the app itself, there's just this big button that says all off. It's like awesome. <laughs> just hit that and just nuke everything in the house. Nice. It's like an EMP just went off and every bulb in the house goes out. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, let's get into what's new. Got a couple things to share with you today. We've got one from Jonathan. He says, we talk about green and green homes, but how about this? Different styles that I've seen or contemplated before. And this is a Frank Lloyd Wright home that is on sale for the first time ever. So says the article. Uh, you want to check it out. I mean, Frank Lloyd Wright is cool. Um, just in general, I have, I have great respect for the designability and the style and the things that, you know, his work has done for other designers. I do not like this house. It's like, <laughs> it's like a, the seventies nightmare. Um, you could look at the individual things and the details and really geek out on it and then appreciate it from a furniture maker or designer perspective. But overall from simply a homeowner stylistic perspective, it, this is a tough one to, to swallow. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Have well, you- I mean, even the style, um, I think Frank Lloyd Wright kind of, you start to get into the prairie style. Mm -hmm. It's very stern. Um, Lots of, well, I mean, the chairs, Frank Lloyd Wright chairs generally, they just can't be comfortable. Uh, I've never personally sat in one, but you do get some really cool, um, he certainly gets a lot more, I guess what I would call architectural um, in in his detailing and everything, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. Um, The style itself is, is pushing it for me. So yeah, I, yeah. I'm already batting at a disadvantage when I see a, a right <laughs> installation or home. Yeah. Well, you know what? I bet you this is, you know, I talk about, he mentions it uh, in, in the uh, email that was sent to us, green and green. Uh, that's a very divisive style. There are people who look at that and go, no way. I do not like it. I can respect yeah. it, but I don't like it. And so, I, I mean, I could totally get it, but this for me, my personal tastes, no thanks. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as a woodworker, I would love to see the place and look at the details. Sure. Yeah. Anytime you've got that much wood floating around, we're into it. So, hey, Matt, you know, with all that cutting board money you're making, you might be able to put a bid in on this thing, man. Get yourself an original Frank Lloyd Wright. I got to reinvest the cutting board money. I got uh, to cut be the new, logs. It's the new catchphrase, cutting board money. Cutting board money, board money yeah. He'll He's swim in it. Patrick Stewart money, yo. <laughs> Let's see. All so, right. hold on a second. I'm looking at the last line, and it's on the market for only one 
one million. It's basically one and a half million dollars. Really? Mm-hmm. That actually seems pretty low for Frank Lloyd Wright House. It does, doesn't it? Where is it? Is it small? <laughs> That's the question. No, I it's mean, ugly, Matt. That's the problem. Yeah, it's ugly. Yeah, but it's, but it's got his name on it. I mean, that's usually enough to do. It doesn't drive matter it if it's ugly. <laughs> I should read the whole article, but I'm sure. Oh, it's in Minnesota. Oh, really? Hang on. Oh, see it. Well, there you go. Where is yeah. it? It's the, the Olfilt House in Minnesota. Uh, went that's on the market. The whole, it's very vague. That's a whole state. Well, I don't know. <laughs> what? It looks oh, small. as a state? When did that happen? It looks okay, small in the pictures. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. You'll have to go go search for it. You'll find it. I'm going to see if it's around here. I'll do a video. Just go ask your neighbor where it is. My neighbor. Yeah. They'll tell you. Does I know everybody? No, it's a small state. Yeah. It's like what we said with Canada. Like all Canadians know each other. (laughs) It's a small state. (laughs) Minnesota was part of Canada. Are you Minnesotans? Is that how you say that? Uh, Yeah, I believe so. All Minnesotans know each other. That's how I feel. Oh, in that. Ooh. So (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's next? All right. Let's move on. How about that? Let's do it. Jeff sent us a link to a YouTube video, and uh, he said, Wooden Jeep is new. That's what's new. So I like it. Um, this is exactly as it says. It is a wooden Jeep. It looks like an old Willys style, like uh, mm. like MASH Army Jeep, you know, Korean War era. Um, and I, yeah, it's all wood, you know, except for obviously the tires, but right. it's pretty cool. I'd drive that. I'd be all over that. Full-size vehicles made out of wood just never gets old. No, it really doesn't. That's Especially awesome. if they're... If they're well done like this one, this guy did a really good job of it. Sweet. Wow. So to go back one topic, this is literally five minutes from my house. <laughs> <laughs> All right. There is your mission. We're going to have Matt live in the field. I'm going to go do a drive-by at this place here. There you I go. Think. Maybe we'll go for a little drive-by. Go check it out. Do a little... And- Stalk this guy's house. I'm sure someone lives here. It might be an open house, you know? Yeah, wait for him to do the open house and like... Oh, more Come research. On. I guess Stephen's open house. Yeah, but they always bake cookies at open houses. Yeah. Ooh, cookies and yeah. Frank Lloyd Wright. That oh. sounds like a way to spend your day. You, you might want to clean up a little, Matt, before Man. you go in. <laughs> they won't take you seriously. Yeah. <laughs> it's not smell like chainsaws, gasoline, and oil. It should be good. Oh, okay. Now I think it's back to me now. Okay. Yup. Yep. Okay. So did you guys uh, click on that and pop it open? Skip to the end so you can kind of get an idea of what. Um, what this thing looks like because it's pretty hard to describe if you haven't seen it so definitely check out the show notes and watch the video or at least uh i think we'll have maybe put a picture in there or whatever in the show notes but this is like one of those things you see being made and you're like i should stop being a woodworker or i should (laughs) i suck (laughs) i mean like when you first see you're like oh my god this is one of those things like how do you even come up with this design and how do you execute it is like one thing and I guess like by the time you're done watching it, the process come together, like I guess I could make that if I had enough time or enough you know, motivation. So basically what this is, is you, you basically have a square, which has, it's a, it's a wall cabinet. So this, the outside frame is square, but it's like curved out on all sides. So none of the corners are square and all the sides are curved. And inside of that box is like a football shaped frame. So the football comes to points, and those points intersect those curved top and bottoms on that outside, you know, square frame thing. And then the doors inside that football thing, there's a double doors, and it has hammered copper panels that are, um, I guess they're like, like bold, kind of like a bowl shape, an actual mm-hmm. hammered, and it's just ridiculous. So definitely check out that video. Maybe get some inspiration and not too much um, 
disappointment in your own craftsmanship. It reminds me of Lord of the Rings. I was just about to say it's something that should be in Bilbo's house. <laughs> I was thinking the the evil eye. Um, it's got an eye of Sauron. Sauron. Yeah, yeah, got a little bit of that going on. Yeah, yeah. definitely uh, Tolkien uh, Tolkien esque, if you will. Yeah. The question is, do those hammered copper panels carry a tune? Can you do like a little Jamaican steel drum music? <laughs> <laughs> Because that would be cool. I wouldn't hit him to find out while the guy's around. (laughs) (laughs) Might get upset. Yeah. Copper probably doesn't carry a good tune either. It's a bit soft. Uh, It is cool looking though. That is some impressive work. Uh, All right. Let's get to our kickback here. We've got a couple of things. First one is a uh, voicemail kickback from Robert DeVries, our old buddy. Matt's old buddy. Why my projects never go fast? I'm not that talented. I usually do only one of any particular piece. I don't stick to plans if there are any at all. I tend to design on the fly. Tooling setup. I try to add a new technique with each project to grow my experience. The journey is as much fun as the end product, or more so. Hardware selection can be tough and usually not done until the project takes shape. Finishing decisions may not be made until the end as well. Did I mention I'm not that talented? (laughs) <laughs> you're more talented than you give yourself credit for Robert. Come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sure a lot of people could echo those sentiments about why they can't get things done faster. That's basically the answer I give people when they find out I have a degree in music and they're like, well, why are you doing music now? I'm not that talented. <laughs> Just <laughs> not usually my answer to it. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't good enough. You want to rub it in now? Right. Uh, this next piece here, uh, who put that in there? Either way, it's in popular woodworking and I did actually get my issue. I still do subscribe apparently. Uh, yeah. and I saw the same thing. So you were talking about the, the Cooksa thing yeah. and there is a, uh, Jared Dahl article about making a handled mug on a lathe. Yeah. I just found it, you know, kind of embarrassing because we specifically brought up the new issue <laughs> last week and all I talked about was my article and I thought, you know, somebody should do an article. And yeah, it was like couple pages before or after the article I wrote. So yeah, I'm just a narcissist. What can I say? Nothing wrong with that, man. Yeah, it's all it was good. good. I enjoyed the article. There's some, there's some cool kind of historical references in there and he mm-hmm. walks you through how to do it. So yeah. it's good. Pretty I'm going to make awesome. one. I'm going to do that. You should. All right. This uh, next one comes from Dr. Nono, just cause I, I'd like to say that <clears throat> Dr. Nono, he's also a hand tool school member. So I like him too. No, no. Um, it's just some kickback on a question regarding beginning wood carving. You guys remember we had somebody who was curious about what uh, what tools to use to get started. Um, I, uh, Dr. Nono says, I recommend Chris Pye at woodcarvingworkshops.tv for online carving lessons. Personally, I prefer his teaching style over Mary May's to each his or her own. He is very well known with several books and videos out and has rented and written a number of articles for fine woodworking. So you can rest assured that he is vetted. Ah, that'll never get <laughs> no old. No, a funny guy. Um, it, it, and I'm glad he brought this up because I'm actually also a member of Chris Pye's site as is I am Mary May. Chris actually came out, his school came out first. Um, they're both very, very good. I do think they have very distinct personalities. Chris, um, well, Mary, does a lot of um, carving for furniture in her school. She's certainly a, a sculptor, beautiful sculptor in her own right. She works in stone and all that other stuff. But her school has very much kind of stuff that woodworkers, furniture makers would be interested in, you know, applied shell carvings and acanthus leaves and things like that. Um, Chris is, he does a lot of in the round type stuff. Um, he does a lot of standalone art pieces um, he's a real deal when it comes to just as, as a 
Carver as an artist, you know, and it's not to say that Mary is not also, um, but I think she's found her niche in like carving for furniture makers. And Chris is, it's almost like taking a painting class with Chris. It's a very different feel, uh, very well produced, um, good website. So yeah, good recommendation, Dr. Cool. No-No. You cool. evil villain, you from your lair. <laughs> Does sound like an evil villain, huh? Yeah. In a kid's story. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Chris Pye's site charges $1 billion. Hey, yo. Good deal. Cool. All right. Next one is from Peter on the time versus quality of project thing. I have another tack. As a beginner, I want to, I want to be making things, but I don't have the skills yet to pull off a lot of stuff they see and want to build. I am also buying tools and timber, both of which are very expensive here in Australia, so I feel guilty a lot of the time I'm trying to pursue the craft because it seems like I'm wasting time and money. Classes are one thing, but they're expensive and time-consuming. With a demanding full-time job and a baby on the way, I often end up in Pocket Hole Town. <laughs> Pocket Hole Town. Sounds like a great Pocket place to town. hang out. Pocket Hole Town. Is that near Perth? <laughs> it's, uh, I think it's near the uh, Frank Lloyd Wright house, actually. Oh, okay. Nice. My neighbor's house. Yeah, the noisy neighbors next to them. <laughs> well, cool. That's, uh, that's a good point, Peter. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about something very serious for a moment. Uh, I, think, I think our faces are very serious, if you ask me. You got to treat your face right. And you really do need to stop compromising on your shave, gentlemen. You got to get started with Harry's. <laughs> Actually, you guys don't compromise because, well, Matt, again, you need to get a Harry's kit. I have, I have a story for this if you want me to tell a story. Would you like to? Go for it. Okay, yes, I would. It's, I actually have a story that actually works for this. So I usually just do my face with a, uh, you know, a little trimmer just to trim it down to stubble again. Yeah, I'm with you. But uh, lately, the battery in that thing, if I don't have it plugged in before I use it, if it sits like more than a couple hours, the battery's dead. Right. Or very close to it. So I was trimming my hair, my face, and the battery died like maybe a third of the way through. So I'm like, well, I guess I'm walking around with this half-shaved face <laughs> for, <laughs> for a while. That's because, a new look. Uh, I, I got to wait for this thing to charge. Sure. So, you know, I did that for a bit. And then I had to, obviously, the problem with me is I will forget that I didn't finish cleaning up my face. I have, like, patches missing because obviously I don't go in, like, a certain order. That makes sense. Sure. You know, cheek here, a little bit of neck there, maybe, like, a chin, chin stroke there, and then it dies. So... My problem is, like, I've gone out in public before like this because I was waiting for my thing to charge. If I had an actual razor, as they went up for the backup or whatever, yeah. I could take care of that right there in that moment and be no chance of me going out and embarrassing myself or just getting more people just look at me because normally people don't look at me. But when <laughs> I have my face looking like that, oh, man, the turn, all the heads just turn, and it's just so good. You want to be looked at for the right reasons, <laughs> generally speaking. Well, that's good, man. I mean, you know, razors, regular razors don't take batteries. You know, they don't lose charge. It's a very good point. Well, I'll tell you what. You do need to stop compromising, Matt. And, uh, <laughs> you need to get started with Harry's. Uh, for far too long, you've either paid too much for a good shave or, and I'm not talking about Matt specifically, talking about everybody <laughs> now, uh, or you've settled for a low-priced, low-quality razor. Harry's offers something you've never had before, a great shave at a fair price. Harry's makes its own high-quality razors and cuts out the middleman by shipping directly to your door for half the price of the leading brand. Good shave, good price. It's simple. Get the best of both worlds with Harry's. Anytime that I need a perfectly clean shave, 
which, you know, is easier said than done because I have Italian horse hair on my face. <laughs> I, uh, I like to bust out my horse butt, horse butt hair. <laughs> I like to uh, bust out my Harry's razor and I go to town. Uh, their shave cream just smells amazing and it really just lets that razor glide right across my skin with no cuts, no burns. The Harry starter set is called the Truman, and it's a great option for new customers. For just $15, you get a razor handle, moisturizing shave cream, and three of Harry's five-blade uh, German-engineered razors. Plus, there's a special offer for fans of the show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code WOODTALK. Go to harrys.com right now and look at that Truman set. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter the code WOODTALK at checkout and get $5 off, and you help support the show too, which is a great way to do it. Stop compromising. Give Harry's a try today. And special alert, they don't take batteries. <laughs> so good news, Matt. We got to talk to them. We got to get you a kit out there so you can That'd be cool. speak from experience about it. Uh, all right, let's get into our voicemails today. Now, here's a funny thing. In both cases with these voicemails, I'm not sure how much help we're going to be able to provide, but I start to feel bad when people take the time to leave us a voicemail and we don't play it on the show. <laughs> well, uh, if they listen to the show, they shouldn't be expecting help. Yeah, that's I mean, true. We're not all true. that reliable. That's that's a lot of that's just false expectations. It is. I mean, it is. Listen to the show. And this is from AJ. And uh, AJ does leave us a lot of voicemails. Um, so I felt bad not not playing this one. So here we go. Let's listen. Hey, guys. This is uh, AJ from Connecticut. Um, I wanted to ask almost a kickback on uh, this past episode's question that Joe sent about having your shop space split up. I actually know Joe. He's a buddy of mine. I just moved uh, to Massachusetts, and the way my shop is set up is I have the basement, but it's in three separate areas. One's a completely separate room, and the other, which is smaller, and then the other one is a bigger room that's split into two, you know, kind of quadrants, like a wall going halfway through. Um... Looking for advice, best way to set it up. Um, do you think I should keep, you know, the smaller room with no machinery in it that gives off big dust to put, like, my vents and my hand tools in there? I was just, you know, I'm kind of setting it up now. I'm ripping the carpet out. Uh, my tools are getting moved uh, this weekend. And I'm just kind of looking for help. So whatever you guys think of, thanks. Love the show. All right. So it sounds like he's got some space. And th- I played the voicemail, but I don't know how we can answer this in any meaningful way without being there to see the space, seeing what tools he has and what he's trying to fit in there. And bottom line, when you've got a space like this, you've got natural obstructions and you should just get the tools in the space and start working with it and make sure that everything can be moved. Don't commit to anything until you've worked in there for a little while. And I think these things have a way of working themselves out. And you may use this particular setup for like six months and decide that this isn't going to work. So let me just totally shift things around. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but without actually working in the space, I don't know how you can tell. I mean, there's just not enough information for us to go on with something like that. Does anything jump out at you guys as advice that we can give immediately? I mean, not without kind of square footage. And yeah, I mean, is there, is there like normal flow from one space to the next? Are we talking about like doorways that he's got to go through? Cause you know, I always think about workflow, like, you know, from the moment I bring in the board, to as I mill it, as I do whatever to it and then finish it, you know, I want it to kind of flow in somewhat of a logical sense. Sure. So, you know, you could think about that as far as how you use those spaces. Like what, what is the easiest way to access those three spaces? Well, maybe you want to bring the lumber in and mill it there, you know? Um, and, but, but also if you're going to finish down there, like ventilation issues, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that I don't think you could even begin to guess at, 
until, as you said, Mark, you've actually, you know, made some dust on there. Right. Yeah. It's a little bit tricky to answer that AJ. Um, but good luck with the space. Let us know how it turns out. And, uh, if you hit the perfect one the first time, good on you. It's very hard to do. Yeah. Like as there was one thing, like as we talked about earlier, think about like in feed and out feed space too, because you can jam a bunch of stuff in whatever space you want, <laughs> but if you can't feed stuff through kind of useless. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. I remember I did that when I first got my benchtop drill press. I put it in the corner. I was like, oh, this is like the best. It like perfectly, you know, because it's got a narrow base to it. It's just a little delta benchtop drill press. And it like tucked back in the corner perfectly. And then the first time I had a board longer than two feet, I was like, damn it. Dude, the drill <laughs> press work. The drill press and a 14 inch bandsaw are the classic mistakes to put in a corner. Oh yeah, totally. Like they, they the, fit so nicely and then you go to use it and you go, well, crap. <laughs> so the, the answer is put everything on wheels, AJ. There you go. Just yeah, there you go. Good solution. Uh, we got a second voicemail here again. Don't know how helpful we're going to be. Not our fault. This is from Brandy. Hi guys. Brandy here. Listen to the show all the time and have for years. Um, I got a table saw issue. I, Got really angry in the middle of winter, and I ripped a wet two-by-four and shoved it through my table saw. Um, It's a rigid TS-2400, and I'm hoping maybe by the sound of it, you may be able to give me some ideas of what's wrong with it if I've, like, totally toasted the motor. And I don't really know much about table saws other than I used to turn it on, and it used to cut just like butter. So here's what it sounds like. All right, now I'm going to let this play. We can't hear anything. There's a couple of clicks, but that's not what we're supposed to hear. So she's going to come back any second as if we heard something. <laughs> oh, but we didn't. I was getting ready. Like my analysis brain is getting ready to hear some sounds. <clears throat> so, uh, there she comes. You're able to kind of hear that. It makes like a high pitched whining noise. Like it's not fully getting up to speed. And um, I live on the Southern Oregon coast. And it's like 200 miles to the nearest rigid factory service center. And I don't know anybody in this area because I've only lived here for two years that works on table saws. So maybe you guys can give me an idea. Love the show. Thanks. All right. So kind of hard for us to diagnose this problem. We couldn't hear anything. Even if we could, I'm not so sure that we'd be like, yep, I know what that is. It's a dingle hopper doodle McNoodle puss that you need to replace. And, uh, to me, with a saw like that, it probably isn't too difficult to overtax the motor and to right. sort of burn it out to some extent. Was this like like a portable saw? I didn't. <clears throat> I think it's a job site type saw. Was, okay. Rigid. I looked it up. It looks like one of those job site saws. So it probably isn't too difficult to over overpower its ability. Right. You, you know, you just burnt out the motor. Yeah. So my my suggestion would be if you could, if you're really looking to get some answers before going to the service center, um, maybe look for a local woodworking guild. See if you can get someone to come over who might know something about it and take a look. Just get a second or third opinion on this. What about an electrician? I don't know. I guess if you have a family friend or something that's an electrician and it's like, hey, can you take a listen? If it's the the motor, I mean, with that, that, it's probably direct drive so you don't have like alignment issues with the pulley or the pulley having any problems. So really it's either the motor is bad or you did something to ruin the bearings. Well, she's saying that it sounded like she's saying that it actually – like it, the blade does actually spin. Yeah. It just like doesn't come up to speed. To full speed. Or if there's too much load from the bearings because they're shot. Right. That, that could be it. Or the motor is just, you know, done. Yeah. Right. And the thing well, is, I think once you get to that, when you're talking about that level of saw too, um, replacement yeah. and repair, hey, you know, it's like, it's like modern uh, homeowner electronics. 
you know, these things that we can't repair anymore because you could just buy a new one for about the same price. Or it probably has yeah. brushes too. So maybe the brushes went to crap. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It could it's be one of those motors. Well, and that's just it. It's like when I took my DeWalt planer into the DeWalt service center and the guy's like, well, you know, yeah, we can fix it, but it's going to be $480. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, wait a minute, this is what, like a $600, $700 brand new planer? Like, yeah, no. Right. You yeah. know, and, and unfortunately with, uh, you know, again, I missed when she said the model number. I didn't look it up, but I mean, it's a rigid saw. So we kind of know where rigid sits in the market. They make a good saw, but, you know, they're not, you know, they're not a saw stop. They're not a Powermatic. Yeah. Hey, um, I have one. Yeah, and like I said, it's a good saw, but <laughs> it's, it's definitely not, high quality, you know, is what he meant to say. It's, but it, you know, it fits in that particular niche. Are you gonna go with job you can't make saw, anything good with that saw anyway, so you might as well just throw it away. Yeah. As we all know, <laughs> that's awesome. Well, hey, listen. More importantly than this motor issue, I think, um, Brandy, I think we need to talk about um, anger management. Yeah, <laughs> like what's going on? You got angry, so you threw a, a, a two by four into a blade. That doesn't yeah. sound like a good thing to do. What's going on over there? Sounds like kickback to me. Yeah, let us know. Um, there, you might you might need some help. Yeah, don't take and it out on your tools. So leave us a voicemail with what your problems are, and we won't help with those either. Well, we'll we'll do a weekend show about about that anger management issues. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you want to leave us over in the wood shop, <laughs> right? If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can um, just send us a message on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online, or you could just call our number. That's six two three two four two five one eight zero. And we will uh, promptly not answer your question very well. Yeah. That's <laughs> what we're all about here. Especially right. if we can't hear the sound. That is correct. Uh, all right. Let's get into our emails. First one here from Nick. He says, I built a shower stool out of Jatoba and it came out very nice. This was a gift to someone and I want to make sure it'll last. My question is what kind of finish would you have put on it? I know that Jatoba, I, I, by habit, I say that because of David Marks. Um, Jatoba has good rot resistance, but not as good as teak. The recommendation for teak is no finish, which is what I did for the Jatoba, being afraid if I did finish it, it would lock in moisture. Now, though, I am second-guessing myself and looking for suggestions. Uh, he's going to build a lot more for customers. He also says, love the show, especially because you guys actually answer most of the questions submitted to you. Now, I just wanted to put that in there as a correction. because right. Let's we, look at the forum response, and we have in our forum spreadsheet, we have 120 questions currently. Yes. Um, and this is since, them, uh, what, the new year, right? Yeah. Some of these date back to December. Um, and that's because we switched to a new format. And let's see. The old format is 290, 340. All right. Uh, 403 fields in there the spreadsheet so you get the we point. have not addressed. So, yeah, we suck. We basically. cannot <laughs> possibly answer all of the questions. So I just wanted to clarify that because a lot of people probably send us email and go, what the hell? These guys never answer my question. Well, there's a lot of people's questions that we we just can't get to. So apologies going for that. Forward, we've, got a, we've hired a call center in India. Yeah. So <laughs> if you hear from Sandeep, that's what's up. <laughs> that's right. It might not be a good answer, though. Or, yes, oh, man, more, who knows? It more will bad pro- advice. It'll be better than ours, most likely, because it'll be researched, at least. <laughs> <laughs> so um, <clears throat> let me see. I could you know, you, Feel free to jump in, guys, if you have any other suggestions. But I actually have a shower bench that I did something to. Like it's a um, uh, poop. What is it? Zebra wood. Zebra wood, wasn't it? Yeah. And I only put it in the bench because we had nothing else to do with it. And I built a new version of the bench, which is the one that was just finished with some wipe on poly. Uh, and my wife uses it at her little, like little makeup thing in the bathroom and it sits under the the cabinet and it's very nice. Looks good there. So the other one was available and Nicole says, well, I would like, you know, something to be able to put my foot up on to shave my legs or whatever. 
actually it's for me. I like to shave my legs too with Harry's razors. Um, it's very messy though. It clogs up very quickly. So this little bench is in the shower and I figured, you know what? I built that a long time ago. I, there's really no love lost if that thing just somehow gets destroyed, but let me give it its best chances for survival. So I took it into the shop. I layered as per the instructions. A lot of times I don't use as much epiphanes as they tell me to use, but this time I did and layered it on. There's like six or seven layers of this stuff on there. And it's super interesting. I look at it every time I take a shower and it's still holding up great. And this thing is in there and gets wet every single day, you know, and many times, multiple times a day, uh, just with warm shower water and soap. So what winds up happening is it does swell a little bit here and there. I could see the joints swelling up. And then the next day when I get in after it's had like a 24 hour break, it has sunken back down. So it's really interesting to see, but all that said, the finish looks fine. It looks great. It's holding up really, really well. So I would honestly say, like, don't worry about locking moisture in. If the wood is, you know, dried and it's in your shop conditions, you throw that finish on there. It's just a matter of keeping the water out. And any bit that it does absorb, you know, if it absorbs it, it will also lose it as, as time goes on. But that thick, flexible, somewhat flexible film finish of a marine varnish like Epiphanes is actually just the perfect solution for that. The only drawback is it is a thick looking finish. You know, the thing looks like it's been wrapped with saran wrap, you know, <laughs> uh, which is not ideal visually, but it's going to give you quite a bit of protection. So that's my vote. Even with Jatoba, I think that's a good solution for something that is going to be abused as much as a shower stool will. Yeah. I don't think the species really matters. I mean, certainly teak is, you know, the, the gold standard, but, even on sailboats, they use like Epiphanes marine varnish over teak, you know, and yeah. when you leave it naked like that, <clears throat> teak is not the best example because teak is so oily that it does kind of have the color and everything you get when you apply finish. But, you know, Jataba, not so much, you know, it's not super, super attractive until you put the finish on. Um, so I wouldn't leave it naked like that. I would definitely apply a finish. Well, and the way I look at it is I'd rather that finish fail before something fails in the wood. Yeah. Because I can do something about that that top skin and replace it if needed. But if the wood starts to check and crack and there's all kinds of problems, well, that's a little harder to fix later on. So especially if you're giving it or selling it, I would say give it give it that protection that it needs and hopefully that'll work out for you. All right, next yeah. up. I always use protection on the shower stools. <laughs> Word up. All right, this comes from Dave. Never know where they He been. says, I'm curious, as your preferred method, what is your preferred method to making accurate hand-cut miters? The obvious solution, I think, is a 45-degree shooting board, but that just pushes the problem out further. How can you make an accurate 45-degree shooting board? The other method I've seen actually on the table saw, but suspect you could adapt it to a shooting board, is to give up on 45 degrees and get a right-angle triangle, um, or 90 degrees, and cut the miters on either side. The theory being that the minor differences will cancel each other out, provided you don't mess up the order of the joints. <laughs> All right, so the question here is, how do we make an accurate 45 degree cut. And, you know, in the hand world with practice, you can be pretty dang spot on with a saw. It all comes down to layout, you know, laying out an accurate 45 degree line and actually sawing to that line. But if you're an absolute hack with a saw, you know, that's a different issue, but it still comes down to good layout. If you lay it out, 
you know, knife in your lines, do something that gives you positive registration. Um, that's why I like to use a knife because I'm severing the fibers. It's going to be a cleaner cut, but it also gives me something that I can work to or put a chisel in. And you saw your saw your miter and maybe purposely leave it a little bit away from the line. Then you can use a plane or use a chisel or whatever to actually work right down to that line. And one of the beautiful things of doing this by hand is, you know, if you don't even trust your hand planing skills, well, you can dial back your hand plane to take, you know, the smidgen of the dust on the wing of a gnat's thickness of shaving and really just sneak up on that. And when you've used a knife to lay in that miter and you've laid the miter all the way around the board, you're going to see when you get down to that line, you're going to get the wood. It's going to kind of flake away. You'll see the very edge of the wood is burnished by the knife cut itself. And you can just work right to that. And then surprise, surprise, you have a 45 degree miter just by working down to that line. Now, if that sounds like a heck of a lot of work and very time consuming, well, it can be, it doesn't have to be, but it, it can be. But if you're making a shooting board, all you got to do is get that 45 degree right the first time, right? Then you use your shooting board and now you can use your shooting board to speed up that process. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I made a, a bench hook a long, long time ago and I decided to go ahead and cut curves in the in the fence of the bench hook, cut a 90 degree curve and I cut two 45 degree curves. I never use them anymore. <laughs> but invariably, I get comments on my blog or on YouTube going, well, how'd you make the 45 degree cut? You know, how'd you sure that that was right? And it was like, well, <laughs> I used a knife and laid it out and saw to the line. And, you know, I mean, that that's how it comes down. That's what it is, you know. And if you if you saw a little away from the line, then you just you true it up. It's the same process you would go through to like thickness a board by hand. You knife everything down and you plane down to the line. Um, you'd be surprised how incredibly accurate you can be doing it that way. Um, and then create your shooting board from there and you're good to go. I get the principle of the use a right triangle and then you just split that. Um, you know, certainly if you're making frames and things where you really need all four corners to come together, that can be another little shortcut. But the biggest message that I want to convey here is just don't be afraid of just working to the line. If your layout is solid and you use a knife, you'd be surprised how easy it can be to, to nail that line. True that. True that, yo. That's a good skill to have all around. You've talked about that many times before. If you can saw to a line, you know, so similar thing. You have that cut line. If you can chisel to it or plane to it, it just, it's, it's there when it's there. Yeah. You know? And, you know, I, I harp and harp on this just because I feel that it's, it's kind of a liberating thing. You know, it's one of the things that I love about hand tools is I do not care how wide the board is, how thick the board is, how big that miter has to be. There's no such thing as capacity limits with hand tools. Um, and yeah, it may take a while. Like I, I was trying to think, uh, what was I doing? I was cutting a miter on, I don't remember, but it was on a big six by eight piece of Douglas fir. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no way, well, I suppose there's plenty of chop saws now with sliding chop saws and stuff, but, you know, to cut that miter would have been impossible. It's not going to fit on my shooting board. Um, So I just had to lay it out and saw to it. And, you know, I purposely saw it a little away from the line because I was dealing with such a, uh, you know, you trace the 45 degree miter across an eight inch board. That's a long line to track, you know, across six inches, well, five and a half because it was S4S fur. Um, that depth and that length, that's really hard to get that and get it right in the plane. And if you're like right on the line somewhere else, you might risk throwing everything off and your piece ends up short. So I purposely saw it away from the line and just 
grabbed my jack plane and worked right down to the line. Being able to work to that line is like the heart of all hand tool woodworking. It's just that simple, people, really. Mm -hmm. True, true that. Soapbox, stepping down, walking away. Make some lines. <laughs> yeah. Do some In lines. The I mean, saw some lines. <laughs> good stuff. You good? I think we're good. I'm good. I'm golden. Uh, you good right now? You in a good Carry place? Carry on, pony boy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's from Mark. <laughs> he says, hi, guys. I recently... Oh, sorry. Well, I get... I get really distracted and even disheartened when I watch videos or look at photos of other people's shops. Call it Shop Mark. Envy. Sorry. Mark. Yeah. It's Mark. my bad. The spark of the K, Mark of the C. <laughs> he didn't submit his own question. Uh, <laughs> call it Shop Envy, but I can't help feeling like, a, like having a real shop is financially out of my reach. Uh, we are a single income household with three young kids, two dogs, a mortgage, and two car payments. How do y'all... Do you have, do you, wow, do y'all have any tips on wow. building a full function shop on a tight budget? Thanks for your help. Well, I will say as someone who, whose shop is frequently out there in pictures and video, that one thing you have to keep in mind is that it's not something that like I acquired overnight. It was definitely um, over time. Mm -hmm. If you look at my shop, like you know, eight years ago when I first started, I had a Ryobi miter saw that I got off Craigslist for 40 bucks. You know, a circular saw, a uh, old Craftsman router that I got on eBay for like $20. And I did everything with that, clamped a straight edge, and I could do anything I wanted with that. It was extremely time-consuming and very annoying, which is why you don't see me do it anymore. But it was the roots and the foundations of how I got my start. So even back then, to make a rabbit, I used a straight edge and a router. I didn't even, I couldn't even afford a rabbiting bit for my router. So I had to make sure the router was set up perfectly so that the edge the edge guy the straight edge was the right distance from the edge to put that router bit to give me the right depth of rabbit so it was you know, certainly possible but anyway um cutting board that. money is uh, how you do it that's right. router. oodles of cutting board money <laughs> <laughs> i mean that, that's one way i mean if you don't have the the uh the income to or this disposable income really to just kind of dump into it the way that I hear most people going about it is that they re they sell what they make and reinvest that into their shop to expand it, get new things to make the process easier or buy a tool that allows you to do something new. Yeah. And I mean, really we're talking about the used market here. You know, there's lots of tools being sold. You can actually get good, you know, big tools for cheap huh? because people need to dump them off and get rid of them and just keep your eye out because you might find that one lucky find like somebody's, you know, liquidating an entire shop's worth of tools and you could pick up some great stuff. Um, but ultimately, I think the thing that bothers me the most is I know we put it in quotes, meaning he sees the issue. Um, but when someone says the, the, the idea of having a real shop, what's a real shop? You know, I mean, to the guy who just, to the, to the psycho who just uses hand planes and <laughs> saws and chisels, you yeah. know what I'm talking about, Shannon? Um, it's totally different. Yeah, for that guy, his idea of a real shop is a shop that I could never, I mean, I, I guess if I had to, I could deal with it, but I wouldn't be very happy in that, at least not at this stage of my woodworking and where I'm at in life. So everyone has a different idea of what a real shop is, but the bottom line is if you've got a couple of tools and you could produce stuff out of that shop, you have a real shop. You get things done in there. And really we're in a, we're in a like golden age of content production out there and, and look around, look at some of these people who are just starting their new YouTube channel. Very few of these people have that quote unquote real shop. I mean, I'm yeah. a total outlier 
in the kind of shop that I had, but it also took me a decade practically to get where I am with this. And it was something I've always aspired to do. Could I have done with the half the size of this shop? Yeah, absolutely. I could have, but this is what I wanted. So it's, you know, look around. There are tons of people out there making great things and incredibly modest shops. Well, and you need to think about like, think about the order of, of like, if you have nothing, you know, you may, I can kind of see where he's coming from. You look at this and you say, okay, well, you know, on that YouTube video, he used a joiner, then he used a planer, then he used a table saw, then he used a bandsaw. And you're thinking you have to have all those tools right now yeah. just to build your first project. And, you know, I don't know anybody that just, you know, I'm going to start woodworking and walked into a shop with, you know, <laughs> all the major tools right away. I mean, I remember before I, know a couple I had people. a table saw, I, I made one of those straight edge guides for a circular saw. This is before yep. track saws. You know, track saws weren't yep. on the market. Yep. If they were, they were probably giant things that cost $20,000 used in, you know, professional shops or whatever. Panel but, saws. You right. know, I went yeah. to Home Depot. I bought a piece of um, hardboard, you know, because it was nice and slick on top. I took a one <laughs> by two that probably wasn't very straight and like screwed it down to the board. And then I made a cut so that I cut that zero clearance fence, you know, with the circular saw. That was my jig. Like I built built-in bookshelves. I've got a run of them in my downstairs that runs along the entire edge of the house. It's uh, they flank the fireplace. It's like 15 feet on one side and like 18 feet on the other side of built-in bookshelves. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I built it with a circular saw and that jig, that straight-edge jig, using plywood, you know, and solid wood for the shelves. And then I bought. Uh, a router, like a Porter Cable 690, you know, that typical thing that comes with this fixed base and the plunge kit. I mounted it, screwed it to a board. (laughs) So I had a router table. I did go out and buy a coping bit set and I took another board and clamped it down. That was my fence. And I made frame and panel doors. This is 16 years ago. And they look great. Yeah. <laughs> They're filled with books and everything. <laughs> you know, see, we're talking uh, a, a porter cable router from Home Depot and like a craftsman circular saw. And I did all that, you know, and I certainly didn't really know what I was doing. I was watching the router workshop back then when everything could oh, be done on a router. Oh, Matt knows about that show. <laughs> yeah, now I do. Thanks, guys. <laughs> but like we we highlighted a video. It was many shows ago now. Um, but there was like, I want to say the kid was in like, Somewhere in the Balkan states, you know, something a stand. He was in some place that ended in his stand. Kazakhstan. And he was like on his porch with like building a workbench or something. And I mean, this kid has nothing. And the the craftsmanship was phenomenal. Yeah. So I remember that. You know, you you think about what is it that I want to build next? And what do I need to do that? And, you know, immediately if it's like, well, I need the joiner, I need the planer, well. Maybe that's not going to happen. So how do I get around that? Do I get the lumber jointed somewhere else? Do I choose the different type of material that I use? There, there's nothing that says, and, and you know, this is what everybody used to give Norm Abrams a hard time about. You know, well, of course, Norm can build that. He's got the wide belt sander and he's got the, you know, all the other tools and dingle hoppers. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, it is, that will always be the same. <laughs> there's always going to be that guy on TV or on the internet that has every tool and, you know. It's just the way it is. I'm happy to be that guy. I'm happy to be that guy. I'm very tools. happy to have all the tools I have right now. And like Matt said, it it took more than a decade to get there. And it takes a while. I mean, that's a, in my original shop. I think I even have pictures of this. Uh, when I first started, I've got a craftsman uh, contractor saw that my whole family pitched in one Christmas to buy for me. A little craftsman miter saw. 
and that that was it. That's what got me started. And I built my piece of first piece of furniture with that. And also got um, got a biscuit joiner that I put on a credit card and tried to hide from Nicole. And then she came in and she's like, <laughs> "What's that?" And I just quickly threw dust on it. I'm like, "What? It's been here forever." Biscuits <laughs> for breakfast. Because I assume she's dumb that she's not going to realize this. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it, we we all have those beginnings. Now mine was a very rapid change, you know. But that's also because I took this as a career path. If I had yeah. stayed doing this as a hobby, would I have the kind of shop I have now? I don't think so. It'd be very hard for me to justify pushing funds into something like that that wasn't directly generating you know, a reasonable amount of revenue. It wouldn't be possible. But as a business, you do move a little bit faster, at least if you're, you know, if you're succeeding and doing well, you do reinvest money back into the thing that makes you money. It's just part of the way the system works. Yeah. But yeah, you don't, we don't start there, you know? So... Cool stuff. Good show today. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can. You can set up a recurring donation at woodtalkshow.com. Look over in that side column for those links. You can get yourself a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com, or you could leave us a review. It doesn't cost you anything to go to iTunes, click on ratings and reviews, and give us a five-star rating like a bunch of people did. I'll read one of them here. Person's name is What the F, with a bunch of symbols and characters. This is my go-to podcast. This is my favorite woodworking podcast. It has tons of great content and always entertaining. Uh, not that boring, monotone stuff other podcasts are putting out. <laughs> there you go. It's never, never, the, the best reviews are the ones that put other people down. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's the best way to do it. Oh. Insult other people. There's actually a lot of good audio out there now. If you take yeah. the time to listen to it. I, I've been, I have been listening to it because I've had a lot of like concentrating on doing a particular task that didn't need to be filmed which is just great time to, to absorb all this audio. And uh, there's, there's a lot of good shows on woodworking these days. It's you, pretty cool. You just were listening to audio so you didn't have to talk to the guys in your shop. Yes, <laughs> that's, that is true. I also didn't turn the air conditioner on so that <laughs> it made the shop less comfortable for them. That's evil. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, I, I did do that, but it wasn't for that reason. It was because well, it was because I needed to be in and out constantly and I didn't want the air on uh, <laughs> as I'm opening the door and it's super inefficient. Yeah, there goes the profit for that project right there. Yeah. Just out, out the door in the Arizona summer. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, speaking of comfortable, I got to say, my Wood Talk t-shirt is one of the most comfortable shirts I own. It is well washed, well yeah. worn at this point. It hasn't <laughs> shrunk up to the point where, you know, I look like Tommy Mack in it. Sorry, Tommy. I mean, Tommy looks like it because he's got the muscles to show off. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, there are two ways to get that look. <laughs> right. One is to be um, muscular and up, the other yeah, is to have an undersized shirt. Down. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's good quality. Good quality cotton. I'll tell you oh. what, man. When we decided we were going to, like, get away from the cafe press kind of garbage that's out there, we we're like, yeah. look, we need to get these things priced well, but we also want good quality shirts. I do not want to send people shirts that, like, shrink and fall apart after a couple of washes. So, yeah, we're, we're sticklers about that all of our t-shirts wood whisper wood talk all that stuff the charity shirts they're all super high quality t-shirts so yeah you're gonna get what you pay for there faux show you look sexy when you wear it too oh thanks oh i do not me specifically or just in general just anybody so i appreciate the, the magic of the shirt it's the, <laughs> the, the magic of the traveling wood talk that's sure. that's what you we can say. look as good as all of us that's right you could look as good as the three of us and there goes the sales <laughs> all right shannon why don't you give them the contact info and all we'll right well if you have comments questions or topic suggestions you have many 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 ways to contact us you can leave a voicemail like mark said earlier on skype our username is wood talk online or you can call us with that phone thingy at 623-242-5180 
you can go to woodtalkshow.com slash contact and there's this fancy schmancy contact form that automatically sends stuff right to us and we can ignore it there um finally you can go to um uh what's that our facebook page (laughs) (laughs) yeah that or you can check us out individually at thewoodwhisper.com, renaissancewoodworker.com, and mattcremona.com. You know, we don't do that much with that Facebook page other than announce the show. So we won't annoy you if you follow us, but, you know, one day maybe we'll put a little more effort into it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just post some interesting stuff. But uh, it's, uh, Start sharing our own stuff there. Yeah, we should. <laughs> That'll be good. Everyone will love I gotta, that. I got to create some stuff first before I share it. <laughs> good point. All right. Well, All right. thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See you later. <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.